This is Camilla, and you're listening to The Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories, and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or, just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So, let's roll! Hello everyone and welcome back to The Cat's Whisker. I am Camilla and today we'll talk about two people that are very, very important. Oh, but if you haven't listened to the first episode, please go back to last week's episode and look at the part one of this series of two dedicated to Les Paul and Mary Ford. So remember, last time we stopped right after Mary and Les get to Chicago and manage to put together the machine that Les invented. And it was working! He had invented the first sound-on-sound tape machine. In every single interview, when Paul talks about his discovery, he always adds a very nice detail. And now I quote... At the time, I was still walking with crutches following our automobile accident and I threw my crutches in the air and we danced around in the hallway. Then we got in the elevator and went to work and that was a big day. I mean, it must have been indeed. And if you're curious about Les Paul's sound on sound recording, you can go on YouTube and find a very interesting video where the two actually explain it and test it on the television program Omnibus. The same year of the discovery of sound on sound on tape, Les Paul and Mary Ford get married! Now, this is also when the two start performing together in public and Colleen Summers officially becomes Mary Ford. Yes, I know I've been calling her like that the whole time. But don't forget that Mary Ford is a stage name. But why? Well, first of all, Les and Mary didn't want to confuse all the people that knew her from her previous Western music career. But also because Les thought that a name that was as short as his would sound better. So Mary Lou first and then Mary Ford from a Milwaukee phone book starts to play with him regularly. It doesn't take long before they become proper music superstars. Les has three instrumental hits in 1950 and one year later, not only is signed with Gibson in 1951 to endorse the iconic new solid body guitar, but the duo Les Paul and Mary Ford become a music sensation. In 1951 alone, they have seven top 10 hits making them sell more records than Sinatra, Crosby, the Andrews sisters all combined, including the great How High the Moon. That stayed in the charts for 25 weeks and 9 weeks at number 1, and was also number 2 in the Rhythm and Blues charts. And that's why it's considered one of the songs that shaped rock and roll, and it is probably one of my favorite songs at the minute. I can literally listen to it 47 times a day. This song has 24 layers, 12 voices and 12 guitars, and it's been quite a nightmare to record. Now, remember, every time somebody makes a mistake, everything needs to be completely restarted, which is quite scary when you have to record so many parts. And even scarier when, just like Les and Mary, you live close to a firehouse and an airport. During their first attempt, in fact, the siren went off at the firehouse. In the second one, a plane flew over the house. 
Mary, just like I would do, started crying in frustration. And when they tried to resume the recording, the guy who lived upstairs went to the bathroom. And even if Mary used to sing with a blanket over her head to isolate the sound, sometimes the neighbors would complain because the highest harmony was a bit too loud. Ugh, people. And I know they look like a very proper old school couple and they dress proper fancy, but don't be fooled by that. These two were nothing like the rest of the music environment at the time. They were pioneers, proper sound engineers that led experiments decades and decades before anybody ever tried to produce music digitally. Their performances were something that the public was used to, beginning with their techniques. Les Paul was a phenomenal guitarist, like he was crazy, okay? He wanted to sound like nothing and no one else, and he succeeded. He was always playing very, very fast, especially in the highest parts of the fretboard. Gibson actually manufactured a specific miniature Les Paul guitar so that he could reach easily the highest notes, such as the ones he's playing in How High the Moon. Their music was way ahead of their time. And after the guitar, there was the voice. Mary Ford's voice was warm and deep and great both when it's harmonizing with itself and when it's singing solo. To develop a sense of closeness similar to the intimacy of a stage performance, even on record, Paul and Ford have also been pioneers in what has been defined close micing where the microphone is less than six inches from the singer's mouth. This was revolutionary at the time, since the standard was the big theatre style, where usually the microphone was way apart from the performer that clearly had to make a bigger effort when singing. Between the techniques they discovered, not many know that Les Paul was also the inventor of analog delay, which is basically artificially manufactured echo. The most common type of echo we can obtain naturally is the classic canyon echo. When the first, when the sound, first sound ends, ends it, gets it gets replicated and becomes and weaker, and weaker and weaker every time. every time. We know how echo works. And how is it used in music? Well, let's put it this way. To increase sustain and create a better tone, Les Paul took that idea of echo, the usual, the natural one, and expanded it. He placed an extra playback cartridge right next to the recording head so that the second arm could play back what the stylus had just recorded. When moving the playback head backwards or forward, the type of delay could change. This essentially created a loop that led to two different types of delays, used in music to this day. Reverb and slapback echo. Reverb is an echo where a signal is repeated whilst the first signal is still happening. The two signals essentially can't really be separated, but in the result, the tone will sound greater. The second effect used by Paul was based on a longer delay that is technically halfway between reverb and echo. And it was, and it was called, called, as we, we were, were saying, saying slapback slap echo. echo. Les also liked to play with different speeds. That's why he's also considered the creator of the face shifting or flange effect, where two identical audio signals are played at the same time, but with a different tempo. This makes them sound out of sync, hence the name phase shifting. But besides all the technical experimenting, the place where both Mary and Les always preferred to be was on stage. Jean, Les Paul's son, recounts that his dad liked to pick out somebody in the audience at the beginning of the show that looked 
as if they weren't really into it. And from that moment on, that person would become Les's target. He wanted to amaze them, to change their mind, and to see them leaving with a smile. And I bet he always succeeded. Their performances were a mixture of comedy routines, where they would both play the guitar and improvise, mimicking what the other was doing. So, Mary, if uh, you follow me, we'll do it, all right? I'll try. another song that we'd like to do for you. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and check out the videos of their performances on YouTube. They are hilarious and, again, way ahead of their time. They were very, very busy during those years. They were both radio and TV personalities and they also launched their own show in 1953 called Les Paul and Mary Ford at Home, where they chat and play their hits in 170 episodes. While filming their program, one day Les was looking at the sky. His producer asks him, what are you dreaming about? And well, now, you probably already know that asking such questions to Les Paul can lead to many different answers. And this one obviously was rather interesting. He said, recording sound on sound is stupid. There must be a better way. Actually, if you remember all the incidents with fire sirens, planes and neighbors' bowels, you'll agree with me that Les had a point. His new vision was a big machine where all the recording heads were placed one on top of the other and aligned to create self-sync. This way the tracks could be recorded separately and mistakes wouldn't compromise the whole recording. He explained his idea to Ampex and a few years later this new product was produced. In a few words, Les Paul invented the multi-track recorder. Now, funnily enough, that's the invention that everybody used the most and that he probably used the least. He found that being able to record as many times as you want made the performances less spontaneous. It kept the artists less on their toes because it kind of cancelled the tension of having to get it right on the first take. Now, as you might have noticed, even if I'm absolutely rubbish at science, I always try to be precise when it comes to the technical side of music, spending hours and hours trying to understand how things work to be able to explain them to all you music geeks out there. And Les Paul, who is a bit more knowledgeable than me, just a tiny bit, gave up on this quest pretty much straight away on his radio show. So instead of going into details about how we would do his engineering miracles, he would lure the listeners, convincing them that their sound came from a magic box. The Les Pulverizer. It's not really surprising that when Ed Sullivan invited them to his show, he asked them, where are the rest of the people? Nobody could actually believe it was only Les and Mary. But that didn't matter, because the reality was that the audience wanted to hear the songs just like on the record. And I know what you're thinking. Ah, Les Paul, you went too far with your fancy recording methods and now you shot yourself in the foot. No, ladies and gentlemen. 
Get used to it. He found a way to perform and make the performance sound just like the recording. As we were saying, in fact, he unveiled the actual, true and functioning Les Pulverizer. A remote control attached to his guitar, able to start and stop the tape machines, rewind them, record and add the echo right on stage. The machines were kept well hidden behind a curtain so that everybody would believe the real magic. The little black box that could make two people sound like an orchestra. In fact, the first time Les and Mary used it on stage was for the White House concert for President Eisenhower. And days later, Nixon, that was vice president at the time, sent a letter to Les Paul to tell him that the president was very annoyed because he still couldn't figure out how they pulled that off. At the peak of their career, between 1947 and 1957, Les Paul and Mary Ford sold 10 million records. In the late 50s though, as we know, nothing could compete with the new genre of the century, rock and roll. And that's how the beloved Mary and Les slowly disappear from the charts. A couple of years later, in 1964, the two get divorced, ending their professional collaboration too. They will then take two different paths, but will always be very fond of each other until their death. That, for Mary, came pretty early, when she was only 53 in 1977. Les Paul remembered her in all his interviews and always said that he was very grateful to have met someone to have a very special connection with, even in an artistic way. They used to work in sync and know what the other needed on stage. I mean, the chemistry is amazing in their performances and the great songs they made are the clear fruit of two great artists. In all of his interviews, Les Paul often uses the pronoun we to talk about all the inventions that occurred while they were together. He will go on to work a lot for the rest of his career. As you can probably all imagine, he never stopped inventing new stuff. He spent a lot of time improving electric guitars, recording techniques and PA systems. But also, after breaking his eardrum, he would work intensely on hearing aids. And during this whole time, he never stopped recording and performing. In fact, he played with his trio two sets every Monday night at the Iridium Jazz Club in New York from 1984 until two months before his death in 2009. If you were there during those years, you could have spotted in the audience people like Paul McCartney, Eric Clapton, Tony Bennett, Keith Richards. Because after all, if it wasn't for Les Paul and Mary Ford, the music industry wouldn't have been the same. Of course, we would have probably come to the same results because multi-tracking is the key to modern music. But we would have missed out on two amazing musicians and personalities that, frankly, should be remembered more. And now, every time I look at the sky, I think, well, if Les Paul saw the multi-track recorder here, maybe I'll see something as well tomorrow. I'll let you know if that happens, or if a seagull shits on me first. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you liked Mary and Les' story. I absolutely love them. Remember to follow me on social media. You can find me on Instagram at the Cat's Whisker podcast and on TikTok at the Cat's Whisker. I'll see you next time. Ciao.